This is Get a Real Job, the podcast devoted to people who choose risk over safe bets, who pursue their passion against all odds and are doing what they want, how they want, despite people and sometimes the voices in their own heads telling them they're nuts. When the field that I wanted to work in didn't exist, I created it. The only thing you have to decide is how hard you want to work. I really never went into the design of the restaurant of not succeeding. One way or another, I was going to succeed. I'm your host, Dan Bova, editorial director of entrepreneur.com. Thanks for listening. And now, get a real job. Hey, so if you're a regular listener of this show, well, first of all, thank you. I truly appreciate that. And second, you've probably noticed that I'm a bit of a comic book nerd. And so today, my nerdiness is at DEFCON 1. Uh, that's the highest level of DEFCONness. Uh, for years, today's guest told Superman, Batman, and Wolverine what to do and what to say. In his iconic original series like Why the Last Man, Ex Machina, and Saga have stamped him with the label of comic book visionary. I agree with that label but let's see how he feels about it. Let's welcome uh, writer, producer, showrunner, Brian K. Vaughn. Brian, how are you? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, great to talk to you. I am definitely uh, a bit of a comic book nerd. And by that, I mean, I actually prefer comic books to comic book movies. I'm a fan of them, but I'm not like crazy about the movies. I actually like reading them. Does that make me weird? No, I, I mean, you and I are the same. We might be outliers. It seems like most people love the movies and that's how they find out about them. But no, I, I like film and television, but I think comics, that's a superior visual medium because you're a participant. You are the final collaborator. When you were reading that comic, you were bringing to life what's happening between panels. You're giving voice to these people. If it's good, it's because of you. You go see a Marvel movie, it just it washes over you. You're not right, a collaborator. Right, right. Um, yeah, so a lot, a lot of questions I have for you, but uh, but just kind of building off of that, uh, I wonder if you could talk about the the experience of being a writer on a on a comic book where it's you and an artist, and I'm sure there's editors and stuff involved, but it's it seems like it's a pretty small team relative to a TV show where there's hundreds of people involved. Like how do, how does that work in your head? Like knowing, all right this idea is now going to explode in a million different directions. And do you have any control over what happens next? It's really challenging. I found working in comics is like being in a garage band uh-huh. that when we do saga, it is Fiona Staples is the artist. I'm the writer, a gentleman who goes by phonographics letters. It's that's it. It's three of us. We don't have an editor. We don't have a team. We don't have a writer's room or background assistance, just three people. And it is lovely. And I really enjoy being in a band. Television, though, is you're literally you're, you're part of an army. Right. And if you're running, you are a general and you have hundreds, sometimes thousands of lives to think about. Right. It's much more difficult to be creative and imaginative in that medium. And so can you talk a little bit just for people who don't know the difference of say, you know, you've written uh, Batman, but you've mm-hmm. also created your own series and you own your own series. Like, can you talk a little bit about what that means? 
Yeah, I think a lot of uh, people, when they start creating comics, it seems like a, a lot of people, their goal is to work on characters they loved when they were young. So it's like, I have the greatest Batman story. I have the best Spider-Man story. But uh, I I never felt that way. I, I love Spider-Man and I love Batman, but I, I love the writers and artists who created those characters. Mm. And I just always wanted to create something new. And beyond the creating something, I wanted to have control over it. Right. That I'm a good collaborator when it comes to working with artists, but I'm lousy with editorial uh, edicts coming down, you know, or telling okay. me you can't do this to this character. This is wrong. I just, uh, some people are good at it. I'm not. I wither. So <laughs> I'm much happier working alone on our own creations. So is that, and then, so with, with image and with saga, you know, can you explain a little bit what that, what that setup is like the business of it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's been extraordinary, uh, for me, it is image is, uh, a publisher. They are not, there are a lot of these companies that are kind of like IP farms that what they really want to do is sort of find some properties, some that might work, they can turn into movies or TV shows. Image doesn't care about any of that. I mean, it's nice if it happens, but they don't take any money if we become a TV show or a movie. They're just a publisher. And they're not even a universe like Marvel and DC where all of our characters interact together. Each book is its own kingdom run completely by the people who have created it. So it is, it's very different from Marvel and DC, much more ownership and control. And so, so we mentioned uh, Saga there, which is like phenomenally, insanely popular. Uh, I think the stats I'm reading here say seven million copies uh, have sold. So, so well done. Uh, it seems like your work is uh, being appreciated, and you're um, you're kind of kicking it back off. Yeah, it's uh, it's back. We we took a bit of a hiatus. Uh, so the book Saga, it's this. Uh, epic sci-fi fantasy adventure about a family, but it is not family-friendly. It is uh, uh, very graphic, both in terms of sex and violence, the story of uh, two couples from, uh, or two people who form a couple from different sides of this never-ending galactic war. They have a baby. Things continue. Anyway, this book has been going on for years. It's called Saga. It's not meant to be a miniseries. Right. <laughs> I really wanted to do something where I could watch a character grow up in real time, the same way my kids are growing up. So, yeah, we did the book starting in 2012. And then right before the pandemic, I think Fiona Staples and I, she's the artist and co-creator, we both decided, look, we've been doing this for a long time at a breakneck pace. I think Fiona was started thinking about starting a family of her own. So we decided, let, let's take some time away from the book. And we were certainly, we were worried. We thought maybe people won't come back to it after we disappear, you know, from yeah. stands for years. But uh, yeah, we came back uh, earlier this year and it was our best-selling issue to date when we returned. So I'm very grateful that the readers out there waited for us. Uh, that That's awesome. And, uh, you know, I, I guess, yeah, that's a, that's a big risk in terms of, I mean, let's be honest, I think people will be very excited to see anything that you're doing. But, you know, like you said, you've, you, the, you risk losing momentum, even maybe for yourself. Like if you want, did you know I'm definitely coming back to this or were you, um, was there it's a deadline? That, 
No, no. Fiona and I have talked a lot about, and before we went on this break, I, I told her, I said, Fiona, look, in my mind, we'd reached issue 54. I said, this is really the halfway point. Okay. For me. <laughs> right. I want this to go over a hundred issues. I have this long-term plan for what's going to happen with Azel and her family. And she was like, absolutely. I'd love to do it, but I'm going to need a break before we summit this next mountain. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I need some time. And I was always okay with that because, you know, you, you talk about losing momentum. But I, I think in comics, there's this unreasonable expectation for creators that we do this monthly thing mm. where every month a new issue of Batman comes out no matter what, that train never stops. Right. And there's nothing else like that. There's not, yeah. you know, TV shows take, here's a season. We're going to take a few months off. Movies take years off. Comics is this expectation that we must be there every month, no matter what. And early on, when it looked like Fiona was like, look, I, I draw this book in touch. She colors it herself, too. A lot of times that'll be a group of people do that. She was like, I, I, there's no way that I can put out 12 of these a year. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to get in a fill-in artist, someone to come yeah. in. Not you. The book wouldn't be Saga without Fiona. So we were like, let's do six issues, and then we'll take a few months off and come back. And when we first did that, Image was like, we support anything you want to do. But just to let you know, odds are the book is going to tank now. Mm. That retailers expect, you know, they base their sales on how did it sell this month. If you go away for a month, two months, three months, it's it's over. And that turned out not to be the case. So we're doing something new, but it turns out readers do, they want something good and they want to see Fiona's artwork and they're willing to wait for it, I hope. Well, I I think, you know, in a, in a more global outlook on what you just said, I, I think it's such great advice. You know, I think kind of whatever someone is working on, there is this feeling like, I just got to keep going and I got to push through it. But sometimes like, you recognizing that we needed a break, we needed to regroup and the, with a plan of how we're going to get back into it. I, I think that's, that's awesome. Awesome advice. Um, I want to ask you, so, you know, you've, you've had, you know, tremendous success. Uh, you know, I didn't mention, but you wrote on, uh, lost, uh, you were the showrunner of under the dome. You're quite a busy guy. Like, how did you, how'd you get started? What was your, what was your first entryway into this kind of fantasy universe? I mean, I love comics. I've loved comics ever since I was young, but, uh, when I went to college in the mid nineties, there was nowhere to go to school to study comics. Right. So I sort of thought like, Oh, I'll pivot to film. That's another visual medium, and I like writing for it. So, uh, yeah, I was an NYU film school nerd, and I found film school really frustrating. That just every short film was like a failed science experiment. <laughs> it was like, what is in my head? I'm incapable of having it come out. But uh, while I was in film school, there was this thing called the Stanhattan Project, named after Stan Lee, where a Marvel editor named James Felder decided, like, look, we're we have NYU right down the street from our offices. At the time, Marvel had, was becoming sort of incestuous, where it was like all their writers were former, you know, editors. They're like, let's look beyond ourselves. So I was very much at the right place at the right time. I was at NYU when James Felder came over and said, I want to teach a course of just teaching you the weird ins and outs of making a comic. And he liked my work and I got my foot in the door very early. What, uh, what year were you at NYU? 
I was at NYU from 94 to 98. So you and I were probably pressing the same elevator button at one point at Tisch School of the Arts because I went there from 92 to 96. Is that right? Wow. What was your focus? <laughs> uh, I was film too. Okay, right on. So uh, I don't know I if you... It's going to be you, extraordinarily boring for all of your listeners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> compared, did you have Arnie Baskin? Yeah, yeah that's you? exactly. Uh, and I still have uh, scars from the Steenbeck uh, splicing room. Uh, oh, to prove for sure. I, I remember being in film school from 94 to 98 was I learned to cut film literally cut film as a razor blade. And in 1998, as I'm like with diploma in hand leaving, they're wheeling in these giant computers. (laughs) I'm like, what are these? And they're like, oh, this is the future. Everything that you've learned is irrelevant now and gone. Uh, So yeah. More coming up from our guests, but first a word from our sponsor. This episode of Get A Real Job is presented by State Farm. Being a small business owner can be so fulfilling, rewarding, and let's be honest, a little scary from time to time. Doing your own thing and being your own boss is great, but sometimes it can make you feel like you're all alone, especially when things aren't going so great. Well, the folks at State Farm want you to know you aren't alone. State Farm has thousands of agents who are small business owners too, so they know what it takes to protect everything you work so hard for. State Farm has an assortment of insurance policies for small businesses that can be tailored to your needs. So whether you're a hairstylist, an electrician, or a florist, State Farm agents are ready to help. Learn more and find an agent today at statefarm.com slash smallbusiness. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And we're back. So um, was your was your goal uh, immediately? I want to write comic books. Um, was that 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 was the dream? I knew I wanted to make a living being a writer. That I was always very business minded and annoyed. I, I guess I'd seen early on that people would take advantage of how much writers love to write and not pay them. Yeah, and I guess I'd always been like. Shakespeare made a good living in his his day. It's like this, my writing is generating revenue for someone. So I want to make a living. I didn't care if it was, I'd be a magazine writer, I'll write TV commercials. I just knew I wanted to write and I wanted to get paid to write. That's, well, that's, you're a smart man because, uh, especially these days, paying people to write, uh, is not, uh, at the top of a lot of publishers lists. Um, so it's, uh, did you, did you, um, turn down, you know, opportunities that were unpaid? Yeah, I guess I, I did. I, I did probably a little later, you know, yeah, I think yeah. was, uh, Dave Eggers, a, a writer, uh, I remember reading something he said at the time that there are two stages of your career. There's that first stage where you say yes to everything, whatever yeah. comes your way, no matter what. And then there will come a day where you start saying no to things, but that would, that day won't come right away. So I, I don't think I was too proud to take a free gig if, if I thought there was money might come from the end of it. But I wasn't a sucker. I, I would never, you know, do something for a company that I thought had money and the capability to pay me. Right, right. No, that's great. Um, can you can you um, sort of uh, nerd out a little bit on just on the writing process? You know, a lot of people who are aspiring writers, they've you know it's something they sort of like 
find uh, 10 minutes that now and 10 minutes then and writing at midnight or whatever. So when it's your job, like how do you, how do you approach it? I took in my senior year of high school in Cleveland, uh, there's this, uh, great wacky teacher named Mr. Toner mine. And he offered this class called writing the novel. Uh-huh. And he said, like, just take my course for a semester and write a book. And I was <laughs> wow. like, that sounds insane. I'd never written anything longer than a short story, but right. like, let, let's do this. And the class was just like, let's learn to just write. It's like, it doesn't matter if this is going to be garbage, but you're going to write five pages every night. I know you've got uh, extracurriculars. You're going to go to your dumb theater rehearsal and you've got swim practice. I don't care. You're going to write five pages every day. Yeah. Started doing it and it was exhilarating because, you know, I literally fall asleep at the keyboard at first, but then it was like, if you force yourself, I imagine it, I'm obviously clearly you're looking at me, not an athlete, but I was like, (laughs) this is what my athlete friends must see is like, I did it for a week. I did five nights of writing five pages and I could tell on Friday, I was a way better writer than I was on yeah. Monday. Yeah. And I was like, that's it. It is like I'd taken, I'd read a lot of books on writing and had a lot of great teachers, but I was like, this is all it is, is just working out every day and just writing five pages. And I started then as a senior in high school and I really haven't stopped mm. that I just like write five pages and it's oftentimes terrible, unreadable, <laughs> but like, you can make that better later, but just yeah. get your pages out every day. Get some pages out. That's it. Uh, are there any um, are there any books or anything that you recommend to people like saying this? This is a good one. This has actually great advice. I mean, I think Stephen King's on writing is the gold standard. Yeah. For here is because there's not like a lot of frou-frou silliness. It's just like. I'm a working writer. Here is the the ins and outs of, you know, what it means to be a working writer. So I, I do think that book is is great. Uh, I love it. And I think uh, any books about writing are great, but none of them replace what it comes down to, yes. which is mostly just turn off your video game console. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's just, it's so, the PlayStation is so rewarding. It gives you the feeling of writing. It gives you this illusion of, yeah, uh, it's so fun. And I love video games. And I, I but I'm sorry, if you want to do this for a living, you have to unplug it. And I think sometimes people are looking for ways like or book or advice for how can I make writing more fun? Yeah. And it, writing's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's the least fun thing you can do on your laptop. There is any other window you can open is more fun than this. But, hey, you know, there is uh, the, that old quote that I, I don't, uh, Dorothy Parker quote, she would say, I hate writing, but I love having written. And that's uh, it. That's great. Having written is the best thing in the world, but writing's a drag, man. But you just, you got to get past it. Um. Uh, I recently interviewed uh, Sylvester Stallone, who uh, put it slightly less eloquently, but he said, writing fucking sucks. Yeah, that's it. And then um, that, that was it. <laughs> but, it is. It just, and it, it, the worst part is it never gets better. Yeah. I've been doing it for 20 years, and it's not like, oh, I've learned a shortcut. It's a little bit easier. Every time, because like your taste gets better. You know what good writing yeah. is. 
And then you do it and you're like, I know what it is. Why can't it just come out? Right, right. It's a drag. So uh, with Stephen King being uh, someone that you uh, look up to, uh, what was it like taking on Under the Dome? What was that experience like? It was challenging. (laughs) It was really really hard. I'd left Lost. And uh, I knew I, you know, after leaving Lost, I'd left because I was already older than Damon Lindelof was when he had helped create Lost. And I was like, I want to go away and do something new. Yeah. And and, uh, work on a new show. And uh, yeah, and I tried to do something original and it it didn't work. But yeah, Under the Dome came up, which is a book that I'm actually a pop culture reference in a kid describes liking the comics of Brian K. Vaughn. And I was like, how cool is this that <laughs> I'm mentioned in the book and I now get to adapt this thing. It was an incredible time. And the best time was getting to meet Stephen King, who is just everything you want one of your heroes to be. Okay. Just be back yeah. Around. So that was great. I, I think the experience was hard and I, I think I was not cut out to run a network show. Uh-huh. Definitely like this burden of, of working for gigantic CBS and making a mass hit show. It was really challenging. And it was mostly as I was there, it was like Saga had just started to take off. And it was like, I, I would suffer during the day trying to keep this TV show together. And then at night, I would just escape into Saga. And uh, I sort of realized like, oh, I think this is trying to tell me something. <laughs> Maybe this thing is not my calling and this other thing is. That's yeah. great. Well, I would definitely encourage people to pick up Saga, but uh, something you could sample it on, which is pretty cool, on Image's website, you could actually look at the first issue and scan through it and see what it's all about. And, you know, everything that uh, Brian has said, it's it's uh, it's not uh, uh, the never-ending story. It's... Uh, <laughs> It starts off pretty, uh, pretty much with a bang. Things are things you'll are happening. The, if, if you want to check it out, we deliberately wanted it to be. You'll know from the very first page. Yes, this is for you're you. just like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it might not, and that's okay. <laughs> that's so cool. Dig it. So what uh, what what pace are you guys putting this stuff out on? And I also want to ask a little bit more about your. Um, you know, working you and, and Fiona, like how to, how does that work? Like, I know typically a writer comes up with a script and says, okay, in panel four, this is going to happen. And that, is that the way you do it? Or you, do you talk it through? How, do, how does your uh, collaboration work? We both, a lot of closeness and giving each other a lot of space. That uh, Before we begin each arc, we call it every six issues, it's its own sort of contained storyline. I like to talk with Fiona and she doesn't like spoilers necessarily. If a character is going to die, she wants to wait to read it in the script to channel that emotion into drawing. Uh, Right, right. So she doesn't want spoilers, but I do like knowing, hey, this previous arc, is there anything you hated drawing that I asked you to do? Is there anything that you said you you haven't been able to draw? Or is there just a a kind of a, a tone that you're going for? And Sometimes it'll be, you know, something like Fiona will say, we haven't really gone to a Western planet and I'd love to draw a Western theme Ah. something, or it'll be as large as, Hey, I drew this little seal guy. Uh, Do you think he could be, you know, show up in a panel in a background somewhere? 
and be like, not only will he be showing up in a panel, he is going to be a central character in the book. <laughs> I so but so we, we talk very closely, but then when it comes time to do our independent jobs, we go away. I go right in my writing cave and she draws in her drawing cave uh-huh. and give each other a lot of space and trust and, and, you know, that freedom to, here's what I said in the script and I'll give you all of our dialogue and breakdowns. But if you see a better way to do this at any turn, do it. I mean, she's one of the best comic artists, not just of her generation, but of all time. So I just feel like Saga is my, just don't screw this up. Just stay out <laughs> of Fiona's way. Give her beautiful things to draw. But this is her book to shine, not mine. That's awesome. Uh, that's that's fantastic. Can can you describe uh, your writer's cave a little bit? What what's in there? What makes it a cave? Yeah. Well, I used to have a, a flop house apartment that I would go to outside of my house, but during the pandemic. I could hear the coughing through the thin oh, walls of my neighbors. <laughs> and I was like, this, I can't get any writing. So I'm back to writing at home. And writing at home, I've uh, been warned, don't write at home because that is what The Shining is about. Yeah. It's about a, a man trying to write in the same place where his family is living. And it can be challenging. But thankfully, uh, you know, my kids are gone at school these days. But I will say, I write downstairs. I have this little room, but it is four blank walls. Uh, there's no, I am so easily distracted. Yeah. I just need like a sensory deprivation tank that I go to. Right. I don't listen to music. I don't watch TV. I just go to a room with four white walls. I look like a serial killer. (laughs) And yeah. And I just listen to the weird thoughts in my head and things come out. That's great. Well, definitely remove any axes from your home. I think just (laughs) as a, yeah. Well, uh, Brian, this has uh, been awesome talking to you and uh, just just hearing about your process and just want to tell everyone again to check out Saga because it, uh, it is delightfully warped and weird and at times uh, gruesome and it's just awesome. It's just a fun read. Well, thank you so much. And if I could throw out, if your readers enjoy that first free issue, and they want more free comics. I'm doing a new graphic novel that I'm serializing just a few pages a week online through Substack. And it's oh. with an artist named uh, Nico Henrichen, who I, I did a book called Pride of Baghdad with. He's incredible. But our comic is called Spectators, and it is a supernatural ghost story and uh, a romance of sorts. Oh, that's so, that's awesome. I- that sounds great. Um, actually, sorry, I, I want to ask you one more thing, and then I'll let you sure. go. Um, so for anyone listening to this, who is, uh, you know, a fan of yours, a fan of comic books and, you know, always wanted to get into this world, like, uh, especially if you're not an artist, how does it just a writer, what, what, what do you suggest to people who are writers who are one day hope to get into the comic book industry? Yeah, I think if you want to break into comics right now, there's never been a better time because, If you want to break into Marvel or DC, that's always going to be tough. Very few slots, a lot of people competing. But if you just want to make comics, back when I started out, you would have to go to Kinko's, you know, and print up your own and staple. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because of the internet, you can make your own comics and put them up online immediately for everyone to see. Now, the problem is if you're a writer and you're like me and you can't draw to save your life, and you don't want to be a novelist, you really do want to work in comics, 
well, you're going to need a collaborator and you're going to need an artist. And unless your kid's sister is an amazing artist and willing to draw for free, you're probably going to have to pay someone. And I think a lot of people think, oh, I can find a young artist and be like, hey, I wrote this 10 page story. Will you draw it for me? Well, what took you maybe a day to write is going to take them 10 days of their life. Right. Why would they do that? And so my advice is always pay people. If you want to see what it's like to get back some amazing artwork, pay someone. You don't have to pay them a lot. But if you go online to like DeviantArt, one of these places where they're young up and coming artists, where every day they're used to writers coming and being like, I'm looking for an artist. But you say I'm looking for an artist and I'm willing to pay $20 a page, you will get amazing responses. Wow. But yeah, you might have to, again, not buy a PlayStation 5, but make a little <laughs> investment. But I'd say invest in yourself. Yeah. Start small. Don't do, I'm going to, here's my 300-page graphic novel. Say I wrote a 10-page story just to see if I could do it. And I'm going to pay someone, whatever, $200. Draw it, I'm going to throw it up on Instagram and see if people like it bam, you're a comic creator. You've done it. You are a comic writer. If you're willing to do that much work, you know, it might take some more work to start getting some paying gigs from people, but it's as easy as that. Just find someone who's great, pay them a fair rate, and you're part of the club. That's that's awesome. That And that that's just, it sounds like, you know, what you were talking about, the garage band, you know, you get together, record something, put it on tape and see, see where you can play. So that, that's, that's fantastic advice. Uh, so Brian, thanks so much for your time. And, and next time you're in New York, uh, I'll, I'll buy you a falafel at Mamoon's. How about that? Oh, it sounds fantastic. <laughs> I love that. All right. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Great pleasure talking, man. Yeah, you too. All right. That's our episode, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Get a Real Job comes out every Tuesday. So be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you harvest your favorite podcasts. Leave us a review. Give us a share. Don't make me beg people. Go to entrepreneur.com for new episodes of this and to listen to our other great podcasts. Thanks. Thanks.